a lot of technical issues and errors that we see in jumping come from that multiple adjustments within the run. It's the feeling from the drill that you need to elicit the most for the athlete. The drills are driving lessons, but eventually we want to get these guys to get on the motorway and be able to do it by themselves. Welcome to the Gymnastics Growth Show. My name is Nick Ruddock, a performance gymnastics coach providing world-class education, events and consultancy services to the international gymnastics and professional sports community. This podcast is dedicated to optimizing athlete and coach performance from grassroots to gold standard. Stay tuned to discover tactics and strategies designed to transform results for you and your athletes. Welcome to episode 22 of the Gymnastics Growth Show with world-renowned sprints coach Jonas Dodu. Jonas has worked with many elite performers across a range of sports at international and Olympic level, with his main forte being track and field. Jonas currently has an elite group of sprinters based out of the National Institute at Loughborough, and he's also currently consulting at Premiership and Championship football and rugby clubs, working with their staff and first team players. I've known Jonas for many years, with both of us having been involved with UK sport coach development programmes, and I've actually spent some time watching his athletes train, which is always really impressive. This is quite a technical episode, but I've really enjoyed it, and I'm sure you will do too. In it, we discuss the benefits of gymnastics coaches dedicating time to sprint and acceleration work. We discuss my three C's concept, Jonas's top tips for sprinting, why drills alone won't necessarily improve the speed of your athlete's run, the importance of counting steps and how these may need to be adapted depending on certain variables such as the running surface, why pointed toes and high ankles are detrimental to force production and acceleration, and of course much more. I always get really inspired spending time with coaches of Jonas's level. They've got so much knowledge and expertise to offer. I'm sure you'll feel exactly the same once you've listened to this awesome episode. I'd love to know what you think, of course, so drop me a message on any of the usual social media platforms. My username will be at Nick Ruddock, and please leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Anchor if you have enjoyed it as much as I did. So, without further ado, here's episode 22 with Jonas Dodu. Okay, cool. So, Jonas, thank you very much for joining me today. Much appreciated. I know you're a busy guy, um, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me on board. No, 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 no problem at all. And um, look, this is an interesting area for me. Uh, as you know, I do a lot of work on kind of acrobatic development around the world. Um, a lot of that is floor and vault related. And we've had many conversations over the years about how we can improve how gymnasts are approaching their kind of sprint um, and acceleration work and, and, and all the benefits that are kind of um, connected to that. So I think this is going to be a useful discussion for a lot of people. Um, it's not something that many coaches dive into. And I would imagine that part of that is because there's so many other things to think about within gymnastics already. You know, it's a complex sport. It's multi-event. Um, there's so many things on vault to be thinking about. And sometimes I think running can kind of get, um, it can get missed. And what I want to try and share with the audience through your own expertise is the benefits that coaches can get or, or of course, athletes can get from um, investing time in better running work, whether that's technical work or acceleration speed, you know, and all, all that kind of stuff. So mm. um, let's just start off with your thoughts on that, because you, you don't know much about gymnastics beyond the kind of conversations that we've had. But you do know that on vault, for example, you're looking at 
probably somewhere between uh, 11 and 15 steps for like a junior or senior athlete. So that's what what you've got. That's what you've got available. Um, The focus from a technical perspective, the judged part is obviously the vault itself in terms of what they do. Why would you think that it is really beneficial for coaches to to be thinking about how they're approaching those 10 to 15 steps? Because a lot of coaches will just say, look, this kid can run fast already. So why would I bother with running drills and all that kind of stuff? The best analogy or the best example um, is is long jump, where uh, it's a similar kind of thing. You know, the the focus is the the jump, the actual takeoff and the organization of your body in the air and the landing. Um, And that's what and the measurement is going to be on the on the distance. Um, however, for the 16 or 18 steps and, and, you know, for some world-class athletes that they're doing 20 steps, but essentially the, the run up, um, is a, is preparation for the jump, the jumping action, the takeoff action, um, and which we can call swing leg retraction. Yeah. So the, the, when the leg is in the air and is in front of you, when you have to bring it down to the ground aggressively to set up your takeoff. Um, that action has been happening for every step on that leg since the beginning of the run. So essentially, um, uh, one of the one of the big benefits of uh, understanding efficient running mechanics is it actually is just preparing you to jump really well and efficiently. Um, so that's the first place that we come from um, when we're looking at running mechanics for for long jumpers and 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 how that may apply to um, to other event groups. Um, and then you just go backwards and go, okay, well, health and performance, um, and essentially good running mechanics. Again, you know, in the rugby world and the football world, I don't really talk about running mechanics per se. I talk about um, what the legs doing in the air and what the legs doing on the ground, um, and and the fact that there is a, a really nice reflexive action where um, the two legs are reciprocated. Uh, what I mean by that is, if you aggressively bring one leg down to the ground, actually it gets the, the, the grounded leg to come through quicker. Um, and so what you can see in, in pretty talented athletes is some will use that reflex and some will rely on their, their physicality um, and, they, and they will have their pelvis in, a, in proper position, perhaps uh, really anterior tilted and most of their leg cycle will be behind them. And so what they won't be doing is um, capitalizing on that reflex and that reciprocal relationship between the limbs. And so you see it in kicking, you see it in sidestepping, you see it in a number of activities where the exchange of the rear limb can add to the quality of the, the power and, and the elasticity of the swinging limb. So it's not just a running mechanics thing. It's a, a efficient human movement thing. Um, and when we uh, when we allow athletes to uh, essentially rely on uh, their strength qualities, then actually they're not being as elastic as possible because they're not utilizing these reflexes and these postures. Okay. And, th- and this is why you'd have like a series of drills and progressions to help them with that understanding, wouldn't you, of of the um, the transfer of the, the, the movement, the, um, yeah. the switching of the legs, you know, that kind yes. of rebounding kind of feeling. Yeah, Ex- exactly. Yes. Yes. So I think there's a the number of drills and, and, you know, they've been done for hundreds of years to be fair. Um, you know, our, our battery of drills are, are very simple and they just progress with velocity. Um, and, and it's, and it's essentially really simple. You, you can often find young kids who just make sense of it. And actually as they grow, I don't know if it's, if it's 21st century society or if it's, um, if it's being coached, sometimes they're coached out of what they do really well. Um, and again, yeah, these, the, the drills, um, can, 
uh, I guess, retrain some of these reflexes. Yeah. Yeah. So I talk about on, on acrobatics, one of the, the underlying principles here is the three C's. It's to create energy, conserve mm. energy and then convert it. Mm. And obviously mm. the cr- main creation of energy in an acrobatic element will always start with, with the run, won't it? That's the acceleration. Yes. And then in terms of conserving energy, that is where better running technique would come from. It's, um, yes. you know, it's not losing or leaking energy onto the floor every time you step. Mm. It's, it's being, you know, standing up tall so that your body's got more um, stiffness through it. It's making yeah. sure that the pelvis is in the correct position so that you can apply force and rigidity through the body. So I, I talk a lot about that concept and all of that work that we're doing there about creating the energy uh, and then conserving it is purely so that you can convert that into the highest possible difficult vault, if you like. So for us, that will be, of course, horizontal velocity transferring into vertical velocity. Yes. Whereas you guys for, for sprint specific stuff, of course, is just about max V, isn't it? It's maximum horizontal velocity. Well, for, for sprinters, Yes, for long jumpers, it's exactly the same task. Hey, it's right. horizontal yeah. into vertical. vertical. Yeah. Um, you know, I work with, uh, with uh, some professional rugby players. For them, a lot of the time, especially your wingers and your and your, maybe your fullback who are going up for for high balls all the time, they're doing exactly the same thing. They're they're sprinting and at a specific point, they're converting their their horizontal into vertical. Mm. Um, so you see it across a number of different events. Um, and uh, and you're right, it's all about um uh what we we talk a lot about the the ankle and and system stiffness being about transduction about turning concentric energy into um into elastic energy but also again on this swing cycle um once the leg is in front of you and you're about to swing it out a lot of concentric energy is being turned into elastic through the hamstrings so again if your pelvic position and your posture is incorrect you end up loading the hamstrings in an inappropriate way and, and, and essentially overloading them. And this is really prevalent. And we talked obviously off air just before about this. One of the um, the main injury risks or injury sites for a lot of the sort of the young female athletes anyway, not so mm. much on the men's side, is that hamstring glute attachment. And uh, we see it an awful lot. I've talked about it on the podcast quite a lot as well. It's, you know, you've got that anterior pelvic tilt. You've got a kid that's growing. They've got weak core. They don't know how to you know, get the pelvis tucked under. And as a result of that, they've got a lot of strain on the hamstring and, and mm. glute site whilst they're running. And running is a high force activity, isn't it? It's when an athlete yeah. is is generating a lot of force unilaterally. It's, you know, it's single leg stuff. So I think, yeah. um, you know, you mentioned about good health for running. So maybe you could just elaborate a little bit on the on the point that I'm talking about here, how how better running mechanics or even just just getting better posture through this kind of sprint work would be better for the hamstring health of these young kids yeah fine so i mean i might have to illustrate you know give give you a picture of, of different parts of the running cycle but th- essentially there are high risk high cost elements at different points in the running cycle and most of these are around the achilles and around the hamstring and so what you want to be able to do and another thing to recognize is that the hamstrings aren't only used for propulsion and they're not the only muscles used for propulsion. But if they are used too much for stabilizing the pelvis, then they're actually doing more of a job that they shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. In some cases, you find that the hamstrings are the weaker muscle group and they're the weak, weak link in the chain. But often what we find is that the hamstrings are busy. 
they're busy, they're tired, they're, they're doing a job that they shouldn't be doing because the other pelvic stabilizers or because of the, the essentially because of the posture mm-hmm. um, of the athlete in running uh, is uh, essentially overstressing the hamstring or the adductor group. And, and when one starts to fail, then yeah, we start to have injuries. You know, hamstring injury is a complicated thing. It is multifactorial. Yeah. Um, but what um, uh, most of the experts have, uh, there's a, a consensus at the moment is that, yes, strength is required and, and overtired athletes can also be susceptible to any type of injury or illness. And planning and, and organisation of intensity throughout your week can be a, a big deal. But essentially, the, the biggest factor is, is running mechanics mm. um, and, and how efficiently you can um, you can uh, carry your pelvis uh, under different uh, different intensities of speed. Yeah, that makes makes total sense. And I think what's what's also if that um, is very connected. That when we talk, when I talk or think about running mechanics and all these kind of drills that we do about you know um, getting the pelvis in the right position, maintaining mm. posture, um, being bouncy. I mean, essentially, that is all the same qualities that you need in order to be plyometric when you're doing gymnastics, kind of like rebounding skills. hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, you're teaching the same thing, and and I think. Um, often it's not about the initial bounce. It's often, and this is why I talked about limb exchange earlier. Often it's, um, let's say you're you're into a run and one step is really explosive, um, and maybe you had decent mechanics during that one step, but if you haven't reorganised your limbs, if your core isn't able to um, uh, control rotation, then essentially the next step is going to be set up to be with a poor posture. And then it just it's just like rolling downhill. Every step after that gets worse and gets worse and gets worse. So um, you're right. It is about um, just being explosive and being elastic. But more importantly, it's about reorganizing your limbs so that you can continue to be explosive and elastic every step. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You've worked with a lot of... Um athletes obviously not just sprinters but you work on this this kind of area with professional sports and you've done a work with Greg Rutherford and other Olympians and yeah. this kind of area um in some of those examples like the triple jumpers and the long jumpers they've got a set amount of space and it's 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 got to be set up like you said for that last kind of jump yeah in the same way of vaulting so do you work on like counting steps do you get them to do that because in, like in gymnastics there's this culture of like reading a tape measure and running yeah. and just going off the tape measure so a vault a vault run is 25 meters tops and you, okay. that's all you're allowed to use so a lot of kids will go well, i run from 18 steps uh, sorry yeah. 18 meters for example um but they might not necessarily know how many steps they take and i think uh oh, something okay. that i've always coached and worked on and perhaps this this came from you probably in previous work that we've done together is is the fact that they need to know exactly how many steps they're taking um yeah. in order to help yeah. like you said organize that that step and movement yeah so uh it's essentially um <clears throat> so let's talk about greg if greg was in, in his preparation phase, he may do a lot of sprinting off of the runway. So on the track, like a normal sprinter. Um, and Greg's runway may be, uh, let's say, 30, 38 metres. Um, but yet he, he will run to 50 to 60 metres. He will develop a general skill of sprinting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he would adapt that skill to the runway. And, and you might be accelerating hard at deep horizontal angles, maybe for eight to 12 steps um, in a general sprint. But on his runway, he does it for six. 
Okay. And essentially, his runway is split into three sixes. Six, six, six. He has a uh, a six watt is dedicated to horizontal projection with with a gradual rise. He doesn't stay at the same angle. He is changing. He has a middle six, which uh, uh, basically allows him to stabilize his pelvis and get himself into nice upright running. And then the last six is all about speeding up and and um, and and preparing to jump. Okay. And and what you find on day to day basis is you might be on a fast runway he might be on a slow run it might be a cold day a hot day greg might be a bit tired or he might be fired up and what that means is essentially the how effective his first six are and the middle six may change he may find that on a really fast runway when he's really fired up that he may have to take his runway back by a meter because he's just applying more force and more power he might find that on a on a on a, a day that's cold and there's a, a headwind against him that he might have to bring it along a, a lot closer so it's less about the distance and more about um his runway formation the rhythm that he has set up and practiced to get him into the best positions to take off yeah and so but but just for clarity here they would never change the 666 it's always those same steps it's generally always the yep. same steps yeah. unless we're, unless there's something really specific we're working on. Because uh, in, in training, sometimes you go from a short approach. Yep. You might go from 12 steps. It's got, got less velocity. It, your, your takeoff is now at slower speed. You can you can work on things more technically. Mm. But essentially in a competition, yeah, your your runway formation is your runway formation. And, and that goes that goes across the board for a number of different events because um, the takeoff point is very specific obviously there's a board you don't want to foul you don't want to give away too much distance so we're talking about being really specific with your takeoff point um and what what a novice athlete will do will spend um let's say the middle six will realize how far or how close he might be and will start to edit um his speed and and his step length midway through the run okay um and everyone will be subconsciously or consciously editing their position in the last six, but you you kind of want to you you want to you know, sustain your speed all the way up to that point, as opposed to be editing midway through the run. Yeah, try and make up for the fact that you're not in the the perfect position for yourself. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, the good athletes they they perform their rhythm, and if they're off, so in in the beginning of a competition, they'll have a few practice jumps, and regardless of if they're going to be off or not they'll perform their rhythm and if they're if they're in front of the board by a step or behind the board by a step or 30 centimeters they will adjust based on that rather than doing lots of adjusting within the run to get on the board does that make sense makes total sense and what, what we see particularly with again with younger gymnasts is that they'll they're full of adjustments mm. and they're full of adjustments because this whole kind of concept of, of counting your steps, knowing how many you take and all that just doesn't exist really within gymnastics. Mm. Like, and that's a very generalist comment because of course it does somewhere in the, some place in the world and some coaches are doing it. But a lot of, for a lot of people, it's just, you know, you start at 19 meters, right? Run. And then, you know, they might just say, right, just move back a bit. You're too close or come forwards a bit. You're too far away. And that's as, mm. as technical as it gets, you see. And you just think that coaches are missing a trick then because the next time they come in, it might be different. You don't know yeah. what is optimum for that particular athlete. And um... uh, I'll tell you what, a lot of technical issues and errors that we see in jumping come from that multiple adjustments within the run. Yeah, I could watch Greg um, and it got to a point probably by the, the end of our first year together that after his first six steps, I, I would know if it was going to be on the board and if it was going to be a good jump or okay. not. 
And so we always want to human body and, and performance is erratic and chaotic. So we do want to create as much stability and as much consistency as possible because there are so many things we can't control. So if we, if there are things like a runway rhythm that we can control, um, that that gives so much confidence and clarity to an athlete, um, you'll be really surprised. Just a short interruption to remind you that tickets to GymCon 2019, my annual flagship coach education event, are now on sale at gymcon.org. GymCon will be taking place June the 2nd at the National Conference Centre in Birmingham. It's a full day immersive learning experience for gymnastics coaches who attend from all over the world. Each year we choose a different topic and this year the topic is strategy, something which is absolutely critical for coaches, clubs and countries to achieve their goals and ambitions. Because it's so important, we're going to spend the whole day on it and I'm going to be joined on stage by some of the most recognisable names and faces within the performance gymnastics community. Joining us will be Barry Colley, Men's Artistic National Coach for British Gymnastics, Herben Viersma, Women's Artistic Head National Coach for Team Netherlands, Amy Borman, former personal coach to Simone Biles, and GB Olympic gold medalist hockey player Kate Richardson-Walsh. I'm sure you'll agree that's an impressive lineup of speakers who are going to be able to share not just the theory, but also the results and the practice that can be implemented with amazing strategic direction. I'm really looking forward to this event, and if you want to be one of 400 people in the room at GymCon, you'll want to visit gymcon.org to secure your tickets before we sell out or the price jumps up. So to attend what is undoubtedly the most immersive learning experience available for gymnastics coaches, visit gymcon.org and secure your tickets today. Back to the podcast. When you're talking about the change in surface or the headwind and all that kind of stuff mm. now obviously we're an indoor sport we don't have the the weather conditions but we def- definitely do have different surfaces that these guys would would run mm. on so mm. some some home gyms will have very soft mats that they're running on some exactly. will have a, f- a firmer one but when you go to a competition environment you've got a raised podium which is much firmer you get a much yeah. better kind of uh, spring from yeah, the ground. yeah much better spring yeah. you know plyometric kind of action or response so um yes that that is absolutely relevant for sure and and like I said, look, if you're tired, if you're fresh, if you're amped up, um, the, all of those things affect your adrenaline and 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 essentially um, how much power you're going to be producing. Yeah, and I can I can think of a couple of examples of kids that have um, vaulted really consistently in training, like absolutely consistently, and then as soon as they've put their arm up in competition, they've they've completely messed up their vault mm. as, as a result of them performing differently to how they train but that comes back down to yeah are they amped up mm. they're in an arena they've got people mm. shouting for them all of a sudden they've changed their mechanics they've changed yeah. their velocity they're on the wrong position on the board and then the whole yeah. vault gets messed up so it's it's an important topic for coaches to delve into and i think um i just the reason why we're having this conversation is that i think it's an area that a lot of coaches can benefit mm. from you know from being more consistent uh better health like like we said uh just general better yeah. physical preparation because all these benefits like i said that are going to come from improved running work is going to help them in all other areas of their gymnastics and i think you will be surprised that if you talk to um like uh, mindset guys and, and performance psychologists um it's often mm. surprising how much uh a, of a positive benefit on confidence and mindset and performance anxiety um how, how much a positive benefit you can get from just a, a routine um, and, and a consistent way of structuring your performance. Um, so if you don't have a runway rhythm, you, you are just running free and lots of time to think and lots of time to wonder. 
but but if you do have a runway rhythm you kind of just go okay I know what I need to rely on um, I know what I need to lock into so I'm in an arena full of lots of noise whereas um, I haven't got 12 or 14 steps to listen to the noise and then decide to jump uh, from the moment I decide to move I'm now into my performance routine um, so you, you'll be surprised how much of um, uh, just some consistency and structure around everything you do um, will just bring some peace essentially to the to the athlete and and you know w- w- why that why that creates is you, you might do a vault and you might do a bad vault or you might do a bad jump and it's far easier if you've created root, routine in your run rhythm it's far easier to come back and recognize how the simple aspect which is the running can have an effect on the most complex and chaotic aspect which is the jumping um, and the jump routine so if you have a, a, a runway rhythm and you've and the athlete has developed an understanding of good running mechanics and how that affects their takeoff, then uh, some of your problem solving and solution creating can actually become very simplified. And again, that's really empowering to, to both athlete and coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think what we have seen over the last couple of years, um, and I've, I've done a lot of work of this internationally on my travels, is is applying drills like running drills to help and promote these the kind of things that we're talking about what is still missing is the transfer between the drill and the actual Mm. performance itself so i can think of many examples where i've seen kids warm up um you know we're only talking sort of 9 10 11 12 year old kids that are but they are they have got a good understanding of the leg transfer you know they're nice and bouncy the pelvis is in a good place to you know it's all looking good then you watch them vault and it's like They've just forgotten every single drill that they've ever been hmm. been shown, or and I think that transition phase has got to be better because the purpose of the drills, of course, yeah. is to help performance. If it's not helping performance, then we would question why we're doing it. In the first why place. we're doing it yeah. or spending that? Yeah, yeah. Apart from the health benefits, so again, where can coaches do you think help bridge the gap so that basically, when a child, you basically say it's time yeah. to sprint, they still adopt the same actions and movement qualities that they're doing in their drills itself. so we've got a course that we're going to launch in june and and, and essentially it's, it's for that exact reason um and and it's because yeah. um you can find drills 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 everywhere on youtube every coach is doing them but the the actual end point the the, the reason why they're doing each drill um is sometimes over complicated and over coached um, whereas uh, what I find, you know, I work with England rugby and, and those those guys spend all day playing rugby and don't really talk about running. Um, and if and you can very easily get carried away trying to perfect the drill and trying to get every every shape that you think you should see out of the drill. But it's the feeling from the drill that you need to elicit the most for the athlete. It's them taking control and understanding when I want to get faster, this aspect of this drill over here helps me with this point in my running cycle. And this drill over here helps me with a different point in my running cycle. And oh yeah, okay, if I combine these things together as I'm going through higher and higher velocities, now I can carry more speed. Now I can be stiffer through the ground. That's very difficult to find. That's very difficult to find in a course, very difficult to find online, because all we do is talk about the shapes, but we don't really talk about the feelings and how to get the athlete to actually take control. Because that's essentially what we're doing. The drills are driving lessons, but eventually we want to get, get these guys to get on the motorway and be able to do it by themselves. What you might find is that you've drilled and you've taught the movement pattern, but you haven't actually strengthened their ability to run fast. You haven't gotten faster is basically what it is. You've done, you ha- you've done the drills, yeah. but you haven't done the speed work. 
And so as a result, they are technically more efficient at slower speeds. They probably have a really good pelvic rotation and awareness of how to keep it stable at slower speeds. But if they haven't moved at a faster speed, if they haven't felt what it feels like to have to whack the ground and have a stiffer ankle and get off the ground really quickly um, and yet still maintain that same pelvic position, then, yeah, the transfer isn't going to happen. All you've done is done a driving lesson in your car park and maybe done some virtual reality on your on your PlayStation, but you haven't actually taken them on, on, on an A-road <laughs> or the motorway. Um, and that, that essentially is the, is the transfer. You know, you see the same thing in the army. The guys... Okay, they can they can be in camp and they can learn how to clean their gun and how to how to go on long hikes. But until they're in in live fire, it really is is um, chalk and cheese. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And I think a lot of what you said there makes total sense. And for me, I, I tend to with with the gym mass just encourage coaches to um, just to build up gradually. Don't don't just do your drills for ten minutes and say right now it's time to vault and then completely forget any reference about the run and just focusing on the more gymnastic side of things. Mm. And you've got to. Um, have this kind of like hybrid model of like vaulting is about the run as well yeah. it's, e- it's equally as important even though it's not judged so make sure that you keep referring to that um have sessions when you're just coaching the run up as they're vaulting so they're able to get that transfer the complex skill required in gymnastics across all your events means that you have to have a good understanding of pedagogy, of of motor learning, of teaching, um, of how to break down a skill and build it back up. And so I, I would just encourage the guys that are, are good coaches anyway to apply that same methodology to the runway and to running. So I, I, I don't think it's that people don't know how to get it to transfer. I just don't think they think it's as important. Um, and and maybe maybe it is a skill thing. Maybe actually the 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 history of the sport, because it's not the only sport; it's most sports. It hasn't um, uh, sp- sprinting is mystical, and and our whole point of our course is to demystify it, is to make it simple, uh, and and to create a process that just makes sense. Um, so I, I would just say the 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 skill sets that your coaches are already applying to breaking down part whole part uh, learning for for any other skill um, needs to be applied to running as well. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. No, absolutely. Okay. So like, can we just run over a few of the top kind of tips? Maybe, maybe like the four or five top things that a gymnastics coach should be looking for and considering um, in basics kind of sprint work and, and running development. Is that, is that going to work? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we can, we can for sure. So let's start. Can I, can I just mention, first of all, the, the whole thing, ankle area because i know mm. this, is a, this is a biggie um it's a culture within gymnastics quite rightly it's a judge sport it's the way we do things that mm. you know toes should be an extension um i know that we've had conversations in the past when you've got former gymnasts that come in and it's a bit of a nightmare for you because they're they're pointing their feet off the floor yeah, yeah. whereas you're wanting that toes up position so can we just talk about the ankle quickly and the benefits or the reason why a flexed foot and toes up is what we need fine so when we talk about sprinting we what we have to remember is we haven't got enough time on the ground to create the forces needed to run fast. There isn't enough time to do it concentrically. What we have to do is when the knee is up and in front, we have to create the forces before the foot hits the ground. So that's the first important concept. We need to whip from the hip. Yeah, we need to whack the ground. And what that does is it means that the hamstrings have had time in the air to create pretension and the leg has swung out. So there's been some eccentric stretch of the hamstrings. And so by the time the foot hits the ground, it's got lots of speed and lots of power into the ground. Now, the only way 
that that force can be applied very quickly is if the ankle also has pretension, if the foot is ready for that force. And the strongest and most stable and most elastic angle for the ankle is neutral, is plantar grade. Whereas if you land with a very pointed toe, what you end up doing is having to absorb a lot. You end up having to be a soft spring when we want to be a stiff spring. We want the bounce when the, when the foot hits the ground after it's wound up in front. So I'll, I'll repeat, the knees up in front, the leg swings out, you whack the ground with lots of velocity. For you to be able to bounce off that step straight away, you need a stiff, stable surface. If the ankle is pointed, you have to bend a bit at the knee, you have to collapse a bit, and actually you end up being like a sponge ball instead mm. of a golf ball. And we want to be a stiff spring because if you are a golf ball, if you are hitting the ground really stiff, then most of the energy needed for that step will be produced in the first half or even the first third of your ground contact. So if I've done all the work needed in my first half of ground contact, I don't need to keep pushing. I don't need a big leg cycle behind myself anymore because I've done all the work. And if I've landed with a stiff ankle, that work that I've produced can be transduced. It can be elastically stored in my Achilles and then given back to my whole system to give me more velocity, to give me more bounce. So counter yep. to that would be if I land with a pointy toe, I'll end up having to collapse, like I said. I'll end up having to brace with my knee. Because I've braced and collapsed through my knee, I'll actually probably use my knee to then push me forwards. So then in order for my knee and my quad to be involved in pushing forwards, that's a very concentric action. That's a slow action. That's an action that requires more time on the ground, a bigger push on the ground, and that also sets me up to have a, a backside mechanic swing. So essentially what we're saying is the ankle is the most important aspect for recycling energy through the ground and through the body. And what this also links to is what we talk about hip uh, lumbar pelvic disassociation. And all that really means is in order to run, we need to extend our hip. We all know this. So we're using our bum and our hamstrings, especially the proximal end. Um, and you mentioned the, the prevalence of injury uh, of hamstrings yep. up, up near the pelvis. So we do need to use this area a lot to propel ourselves. Um, but what we need to be able to do is extend our hip without extending a lot at our lumbar spine. We will use our lumbar spine a bit. So we will use our, lumb uh, our lower back a bit for extension. But we need to maximize how much of the extension is coming from the hip and minimize how much of that is coming from the lumbar spine. And if you can, and that's really what lumbar, lumbar pelvic dissociation is. In fact, all of our core work, even though we plank and we do sit ups and leg raises and all these things, real effective core work is teaching us how to extend um, or flex at our hip whilst our spine is staying relatively quiet. It will, yep, it yep. will rotate, it will have a bit of a small element of side bend, but we want that to be um, the, we want that to be the passenger of the movement, not the driver of the movement. Um, so again, we come back to um, the ankle. So if you, if you wanted me to summarize some key points, I would say firstly, we need to get our knee in front so we can whack the ground really aggressively and effectively. We don't want to land passively on the floor and push. We want to whack. So that's the first thing. Can you whack the yep. ground from the front? 
The second thing is, when you whack the ground, do you land on a stable, stiff, pretensed ankle? And that is an ankle with a uh, closer to 90 degrees landing mm-hmm. on the mid part of your foot rather than uh, an ankle that is looks like it's very pointed landing on your toe and collapsing into the ground. So that's the first thing. Can we be a stiff spring? The second thing is, can we extend with um, uh, with true hip extension? So true hip extension is um, a, a stable lumbar pelvic area that can disassociate. Disassociate means can it extend at the at your bum and less at your lower back. Um, and then the last thing would be once we've finished that extension, do we have we got a stable core and a reflexive leg exchange? We talk about switch um, science, or, or if you looked at some research into into uh, bipedal walking, or just basically when 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 scientists build robots and they want to mimic human running, they talk about stance leg retraction and swing leg retraction, which is basically whacking the ground and ripping your foot off the ground. And if that's timed well and the posture is effective, that they have a reciprocal effect. And and the best way to think about it is um, what we talk about, the stumble reflex. If I'm walking and I kick a curb and my, my the leg that kicks the curb suddenly is thrown backwards, what will happen is my opposite leg will suddenly swing forwards. That's not a concentric action. That's a, I mean, that's not a conscious action. That's a reflexive mm-hmm. action. And actually what we're trying to do with our running drills, with our effective running mechanics is help the athlete access this, this reflex. Um, and, and so what you'll find is that there'll be more power in the whack. There'll be faster speeds and ripping your foot off the ground. Um, and actually it will all feel very easy and very reflexive and non-conscious. And so actually now as a result, your athlete on the runway is running faster more stable and isn't having to think about it. They're not having to use much con- concentric energy and not having to use much conscious energy and more time um, is spent or more uh, energy is spent on preparing for the jump. Nice. There's a lot there, buddy. There's a lot there. Uh, like, gold. Again, I'll summarize it again. Can you whack the ground really effectively? Great. Can you be stiff on your landing? Awesome. Can you have true hip extension, not lower back extension? Awesome. Yep. Then can you exchange your limbs really effectively? Um, can you switch? Whack, rip, switch. Whack, rip, switch. That's that's all it is. Th- those are the three key things. Yep. Yep. No, that's beautiful. And it's a nice little summary there at the end, just for the coaches to kind of keep those points in their head. And are, are you using those cues to the athlete? Because I yeah. know that your cues yeah. are really my, important my, and powerful. Yeah, my cues come from the athlete. It's, it's, it's recognising that... Um, I, I can talk about all of the science, but actually these guys need to make sense of it. And, and whacking the ground um, uh, elicits a lot of the timing and a lot of the feelings needed. Um, being stiff and bouncy elicits the, the feelings needed and ripping your foot off the ground is really important. Um, and understanding that all you're doing in your, in your drills is learning how to switch whilst you do these things um, just d- definitely helps them make sense of it all. Awesome. Jonas, this has been... Uh 
an amazing episode. Thank you very much. Thank you, you So much knowledge and information there, which uh, I'm sure the coaches will be able to take, um, probably digest it all. Maybe need to listen two or three times there because there's just so much content in there. I'm going to be going over it and making a lot of notes. But uh, <laughs> I just want to thank you for your time. Thanks for having um, me on board, Friday. For, for sharing that. I'm, yeah, I'm... but also just to res- respect you for the enormous expertise that you've got. Um, you've clearly just demonstrated your knowledge in this area. You are right at the top end of performance coaching in, in the UK and obviously at world level um, with the international results to match. And I just want to commend you for that because there's a lot of work that goes into it. Um, you know your craft, you know the art and the science of it and you're applying it every day. And I think, um, yeah, just hats off to you. It's very inspiring for, me, for myself to listen to someone who can um, articulate their vision, their mission and their kind of uh, their philosophies of coaching so well. So I just want to say huge respect to you. Thank you very much. I've just, I've really enjoyed that episode and I'm sure the audience will too. Thanks a lot, buddy. Have a good one. No problem at all. Nice one. Thanks, bud. Thanks for listening to the Gymnastics Growth Show. If you've enjoyed this episode, please head on over to iTunes or your chosen podcast player, subscribe, leave a review and share the show with your network. See you next time.